The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from Pikachu Podcast helps me discuss the music of Hey You Pikachu for the N64. While this title is most famous for having the player speak to it, there's also a lot of sound output to go over. Even if you've never played this game, sorry Anne, the discussion definitely has something to offer. As usual, we also have a game discussion after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PKP Podcast, and we've come to the last Gen 1 side game in our music series discussion. Uh, we're going to be talking about the music today of Hey You Pikachu for the N64. So yeah, this is uh, definitely a little bit of an outlier in terms of uh, gameplay and stuff like that. We'll be going into some of the production details of the game as time goes on. Um, also, just wanted to briefly mention that we are recording this during the Pokecasters Network uh, Memorial Day weekend charity telethon. Uh, so if any of you are watching this live, please uh, do feel free to donate. Uh, we always appreciate that. They're raising money for Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, a very great organization. So definitely appreciate that. But uh, we're here today to do one of our live discussions. We do these about once a month. Um, and uh, today we're going to be discussing the music of Hey You Pikachu for the N64. All right. So let me just give a brief description of the game. In any event, uh, it is a communication-slash-virtual-pet-type thingy. <laughs> we've, we've mentioned that a lot of the Pokemon side games kind of fall into the either you get them or you don't. I think this is the one that falls very much into that, that sort of dichotomy where there are some folks who really get it and some folks who really don't. But uh, basically, this is a game where it comes with a special peripheral that connects into the N64 that has a microphone on it, and you get to talk to Pikachu to give it commands and to do stuff at various activities throughout the game. So, first thing we usually go over is our experience with the games. And uh, the way that works is basically we'll describe how we originally experienced this game, and it's a little different than mine. So as far as how I first experienced this game, I'm pretty sure I got it for Christmas of 2000. I got it there and uh, played through the game uh, over the next month or two in there, and, and I think I enjoyed it quite a bit, even though I knew, you know, it, it says on the box, like, recommended for ages 12 and under. You know, I, I enjoyed it definitely for what it was, and... Uh, since then, about uh, back in 2009, I did another playthrough of it. Uh, you can see that on my YouTube channel. I did a full playthrough of the game on the second save file. And uh, rather joined it. I think there was a, a fair bit of charm to the game. And, uh, you know, I have to say, being able to speak into the game and seeing the little volume indicator made it pretty easy to edit. And, as I understand, you have never played this game, so you're at a significant disadvantage, as sometimes happens, but I think this is the most disadvantage you've unfortunately been in one of these. Uh, uh, <laughs> is there a particular reason you didn't get to play it back in the day, or, or anything like that? 
Um, other than my family was not blessed with lots of money. Like we, I don't remember when exactly we finally got an N64. Um, but this game was just one of the ones that we never ended up getting. I did know about it though. I had heard about it and I really liked the concept, but yeah, I never played it while I lived in my parents' house. And when I grew up and started acquiring games for myself, by that point, it was one of the ones that was harder to track down with the whole um, mic setup and everything. So it's it's just one of those that I've never played. And not this time either. The current circumstances certainly did not make it easier, but you know you have to get the cartridge oh. and you have to get uh, a microphone. And uh, there's a little thing that plugs in the controller port to make it work. So it is pretty tricky in there. Uh, what were your kind of thoughts having... I have uh, heard... Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead, Anne. Well, I was just going to say, um, during research for this podcast, I had found that some people had found using their own microphones, like someone even talked about plugging in their phone. I don't know if they mean a modern smartphone or like an old style, like head, like um, handheld receiver type jack. But that's something that might be worth me looking into in the future. If it's if it's that easy to switch out the equipment, I, I can't. It can't be, but. It seems other people were able to make that work. Yeah, so there's really two parts of the interface there. There's the uh, the uh, voice recognition unit itself, which uh, has a, a microphone input on one side, and then it outputs to it the controller port on the N64. So that's the part you definitely need. However, I I, I can understand it seems like it should be possible if it, if the the connector fits and is the right type and stuff that you should be able to use a different microphone. It does come with one with a fairly long cord and stuff like that. But uh and since you never got to play the game then back then, um at least, you know, before you started doing research for this, what was kind of your impression of the game itself then? It sounded very interesting to me. Um, at that time, like I think I've read in a book about the history of like voices and video game technology. Like, like this was one of the first uh, games to use the player's voice to impact the results of the game. So that was very intriguing. It was something we'd never seen before. And then Pokemon rides a lot of its popularity on friendship and interacting with other people and Pokemon and the fact that the Pokemon are super cute. So it's kind of like a trifecta of all the things that would spark the imagination of a child or a young adult. So I remember having very positive impressions and wanting to play the game and like everything I've heard about it since, like uh, some people seem to have had trouble getting the gameplay to work, but most people seem to, yeah, find it a lot of fun and just a very cute, adorable game that spoke more to young people than it did to adults at the time, apparently. <laughs> Not entirely surprising for a Pokemon game, but this one definitely especially. Before we start talking about the music, let's go ahead and talk about some of the technical details about where this game came from, who developed it, and uh, whatnot. So, this is uh, unusual in a couple different ways. We had talked last time about Pokemon Puzzle League for the N64, which was never released in Japan. This one was released in Japan, it was released in the United States, and nowhere else uh, that I can, can think of uh, as far as my research goes. It was released in Japan on December 12, 1998, and it was released in the U.S. on November 6, 2000, I believe. I think I actually wrote down October instead of November in my notes here, but I'm pretty sure it was in November of 2000. 
So nearly a two-year gap in there. It was about as late as you could release something like this, just uh, in part because of the, the N64 kind of being on its way out, but also some other things in there. It was developed by a company called Umbrella, and that's probably a familiar name to uh, a lot of you out there. Uh, they were founded back in like 1996, so this is apparently like the first game they ever worked on. But you, if you, even if you've never played Hey You Pikachu, you might know them from Pokemon Channel, uh, Pokemon Dash, uh, let's see, a couple other side games, and most notably the Pokemon Rumble series. Uh, which, let's see, I think they recently put out and are about to discontinue a mobile game based on Pokemon Rumble. So kind of interesting timing there. And even if you haven't played uh, Hey You Pikachu itself, a lot of the music actually has carried forward into a lot of those other games. There's a little bit of it in Pokemon Channel. It'll pop up every now and again in the uh, Pokemon Rumble series. I know that Pokemon Rumble U has at least one or two things from Hey You Pikachu. So this this music does uh, keep appearing later. And uh, what else I found out about Umbrella? Um, they've really done very little that is not Pokemon related. They did my Pokemon Ranch, the WiiWare title. And the only thing I found uh, that they had done that was not Pokemon related was a couple years ago they did something called, what, oh, You versus Universe, capitalized very strangely. Didn't really have a chance to look up much about that game, but that seems to be the only non-Pokemon thing they've done. Uh, they do have a close relationship with Nintendo, so not surprising they would get a Pokemon project. And did you have any other thoughts about Umbrella or anything else you found out about them? Um, I was surprised that I hadn't heard that name before. Like it seems like when we do these episodes, so many times it's the same, the same companies, the same people, the same production teams. So it's kind of nice to see a fresh face and kind of get to know some new people. Well, we'll definitely be hearing a lot about them in the future because I do intend to cover <laughs> Pokemon Channel and at least some aspects of the Pokemon Rumble series and also Dash, although that's, all that stuff is well into the future at this point. But yeah, interesting company, I suppose. I wish we kind of knew more about them, to be honest. Okay, well, you may be wondering... Who did the music for this one? Well, if you actually play through the game and look at the credits, there is no specific music credit. However, I was able to look at the credits list for some other uh, Umbrella Pokemon games, and also I, I looked through some stuff to uh, find out who else and maybe worked on sound for other games and stuff like that. And the name we came up with was Miki Obata, who is obviously a Japanese person who uh, worked on the music of this and a number of other ones. Um, we picked up some interesting stuff in our research that we're not 100% sure about. And do you kind of want to go over that? Yeah. Um, so in typical video game um, fashion for English, there's not a lot of information on Miki Obata. It's mostly just like their production credits um, for this game and many others. There is... Uh, in this case, like, I was surprised that searching that name brought me a ton of information on the Japanese side about a singer from the 60s with the same name who also retired in the same year. And at this point, like, some sources seem to imply these could be the same person. Some, like, imply maybe they're not. But it's an interesting um, coincidence that they would have ended their careers and stopped working in the entertainment industry at the same point. But Miki Obata as the singer um, is a mixed-race Japanese singer in the 
Kayo Kyoku genre, which is basically the basis for modern um, J-pop and actually kind of has been absolved into modern Enka now. Um, so if you're ever really interested in the history of Japanese music and karaoke, uh, karaoke, which was developed in Japan, that is an interesting rabbit hole to go down because she's kind of right on the cusp of the 60s and 70s and 80s where those musical styles really solidified and you could see a separation between traditional Japanese music of, you know, pre-World War II and what has become the modern music scene in Japan. Um, it would be really cool if they were the same person. Um, definitely there need to be more women working on some of these games in the early 2000s, but we can't confirm for sure. So, Yeah, now one thing I can pretty much confirm is that uh, whoever the Miki Obata, whether it's the same person or not, uh, who worked on this game, also worked on a few other video games before this, and uh, those include uh, titles such as World Series Baseball, Victory Goal and its sequel, Iron Storm, and Sakura Wars, which is a game that I'm sure a lot of folks here, uh, especially Sega fans, have heard of. Uh, it was a pretty big title on the uh, Saturn. So that's probably some of the stuff she worked on right before. It would not be the uh, strangest career trajectory for someone to go from pop music to video game music, especially in Japan, uh, like that. Uh, but like I said, we're not 100% sure they're the same person. Really cool if they are, and it's definitely possible, but we're not sure on that one, unfortunately. we didn't. Uh, she doesn't seem to have like a web page or anything like that that sort of links the two together formally or stuff like that. And because Miki can be kind of a unisex name, like we're not entirely sure they're both the same gender even. Uh, obviously, the singer Miki Obata is, is female, but Miki Obata, the game developer, may not may not necessarily be. So very, many questions, so many questions. Okay, well, with that being said, let's go into the game itself. Uh, before we start talking about specific tracks... Let's kind of talk about the overall sound of this game as a whole. So, as you would kind of expect, even by Pokemon standards, this game has what I would definitely call a very uh, friendly, very energetic, very, in some cases, kind of over-the-top vibe to its music. I think there's a lot of piano and uh, synth strings and stuff like that, as well as some, some woodwind instruments. Uh, is that kind of the vibe you got, Anne? I'm actually a little surprised you say over the top. Um, I can see that in a sense. Like for my part, I was almost a little underwhelmed based on some of the other games we've reviewed where we had varying degrees of style and instrumentation. This felt a little less full to me, um, which is not to say it's bad, but I, I definitely didn't get the feel that there was more, more, bigger, faster, stronger um, with this with this particular soundtrack. So I'm kind of interested to hear your impressions along those lines. Yeah, you know, we maybe we don't quite see eye to eye on that, but that will be interesting <laughs> uh, to, to sort of compare. Um, Anne and I definitely have at least somewhat different musical backgrounds. Anne has done a, a fair bit of theater work. I've done a little bit of that, although not recently. Um, and I took uh, musical instrument cello lessons during elementary and middle school and a little bit of high school. My parents are music teachers. In case you're wondering about a musical background, that doesn't mean we always see or use the same terms or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think we're going to learn a lot more as we go through the various uh, tracks of the game. 
as usual, Anna and I have each picked out a couple tracks we wanted to feature in here, and we'll spend a couple minutes talking about each one. All right, well, I'll go first, and the one I've picked out first is called either, uh, let's see, Title Screen or Yours Forever. And as you can probably guess, this is the song you get on the title screen, where uh, you know Pikachu appears and sort of greets you and then is running around there. It's important for kind of a couple reasons. I think the main one is, of course, it introduces uh, a thematic element, which you will hear throughout this game's music uh, a whole lot. Um, it is used in many of the stage tracks, many of the other tracks, and kind of uh, brought in that way. Um, as far as the overall tone, as you can guess, it's extremely cheerful and playful, which you would totally expect for, for a game like this. And what were your kind of thoughts on the title screen music? Well, this is like one of the tracks where I would say like it was a fuller, more instrumentation. Like it felt like there were more instruments, more um, ways they were working together to create a bigger sound in this particular track than some others. Um, I was able to pick out more of the bass line in this track. Um, it felt like... In instruments were coming through very clearly in, and not like just getting lost in the noise. So I liked this track a lot from that angle. Like it was very easy to hear the different melodies and harmonies and different parts that made up the whole. Yeah, there, there's some several distinct sort of um, motifs in, in this one. I think there's kind of a, a building quality, like a, a making progress type of sound in there is sort of the best way I can put it. But yeah, to be honest, I, I kind of have, I wish I kind of had a little more to say about this one, but it's just so important because, like I said, it is the basis for a lot of the other ones. It's a good song, and I think it gets folks excited to play the game and interested and attracts your attention, which a game like this is obviously supposed to do. So functionally, definitely works fine. Uh, and do you agree with that one? Definitely. And there was something I wanted to ask you. Like, in doing some of the research on these tracks, I, I found um, comments that some of these tracks like title sequences and the like were based off the red and blue opening um i couldn't hear it but you seem to have a better ear for picking those things out could you hear it or what is it perhaps in a different track buried somewhere else in the soundtrack all right so the only thing that i know to be for sure derived from something pre-existing that's pokemon related there is a little bit of the Pokemon Red and Blue game theme on some of the menus where you're about ah. to select a place to go. The the play days, discovery days, daring days, those ones all use a ver uh, variation on the Pokemon theme. Each one is a little more exciting as you move along that series. So uh, that may be what you're thinking of there. As far as the main Maybe. title theme, you know, it, it isn't quote-unquote wrong as a Pokemon song. Uh, but I don't think it's really derived from much of Drive anything pre-existing. I think the melody is more or less original. So maybe that was what they were okay. talking about. Interesting. Thank you. All right. Well, the next couple ones we are talking about are going to be ones from various activities or locations within the game. Um, sort of the way the game works is each day within the game, you get to choose a place to go. Some of it is you're told to go there. Other times you get to choose from a menu. And based on wherever you go, you're going to wind up with uh, some sort of uh, activity or task that you do there. So the first song that Anne has picked out is the Ochre. I hope I'm saying that close to right, Woods. And this is sort of an autumn-based place. Uh, Anne, why don't you talk a little bit about the music there? Yeah, um, I really 
liked the instrumentation under the melody for this one. Like it was just very nice and pleasant. And the whole track has kind of this warming feel, despite it being for night. So I thought that was an interesting choice that they kind of gave you that kind of warm, comforting feeling rather than like the stillness of night or or the obvious choices that someone might make to convey um, nighttime approaching. And then the melody for this track, I one of the reasons I asked you that earlier was like, this was one track where it's like, I felt like I should know the melody. It, there was something about it that seemed very familiar and yet I can't place it at all. But I really do quite like that melody. No, it's, it's a good one. Uh, most of the stages, you mentioned the day-night. There are some stages that take place specifically at night, like there's a camping scene or two and stuff like that. But usually what happens is when you reach the very end of the time you have in the day, um, that the music will switch up to something that's usually a little bit slower, has a slightly different instrumentation and stuff like that. In this case, in this particular stage, stage what you're doing, there's different difficulty levels or, or access levels to it, I suppose, depending on where you are in the game. But you're trying to gather ingredients for Bulbasaur to cook something. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention is that this is very much a a fall-looking stage, and there is sort of a... A chromaticism, I think, is the word I want to use there for, especially like the opening where there's sort of a descending pitch, which is sort of like falling leaves. And that was sort of the part that stuck out to me there um, as far as this one goes. I think it definitely works for the stage mm. and, and is pretty interesting there. And obviously, you know, since you're gathering a lot of food, it, it is a little bit weird in that like there's, you know, you'll find things that you would think would be on the on the forest floor like mushrooms, but they're also like little ears of corn and... <laughs> other stuff like that, which is a little bit odd. But that I, th- I think it fits the theme of that stage as well as sort of the, the tasks you're doing there and encourages you to sort of move around, which the first time you're there, you're pretty much locked to Pikachu, but later times you're going to be able to move around and give things to Pikachu to give to Magnemite and stuff like that. Uh, any other thoughts on this track or to a lesser extent this stage, Anne? This stage, like... I think would be the reason if I had gotten to play this game that I would love it. Like it just sounds adorable and just so fun, like just looking for food and having kind of a breath of the wild sort of moment um, with the cookings and and just hunting for ingredients. But yeah, no, this song, the way you're describing it, definitely those are the vibes I get from this music. Flying Without Wings is a well-written song. But its inclusion on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack is a bit odd. There is plenty of flying in the movie, but most of it clearly involves wings. If you're willing to ignore that disparity, however, there are a number of lines that do match up well. We see several friendships, familiar and new, featured in the film. You can argue that characters like Professor Oak and Slowking lead reasonably solitary lives. For that matter, you could even say the same thing about Shimudi Island itself, being fairly isolated from the rest of the world. If you're looking for the most Pokémon of the lyrics, though, those are probably in the bridge, as striving towards the seemingly impossible is a running theme of the franchise. Even after that, however, there is one more parallel to be drawn. Delia winds up coming face-to-face with Ash in a somewhat unexpected time and place, at least for him. While this final part of the song may have been originally intended as being between two lovers, I find that it still works for the mother-son reunion. Anyway, the next time someone tells you this song doesn't match up with the movie, I hope you have some different ideas to give them. Thanks. 
Okay, well, let's let's move on to another stage theme. So this is, let's see, Prairie Wind or Springly Field, as it is, it is sometimes referred to. Uh, just in case you're curious where we're getting our track names from, after you beat the game, there is a sound test that opens up in there. Uh, it has very short track names. They have to abbreviate some of the, the titles in there. But in any case, this is used for the Springly Field area. And I think the, the main thing, this is a wide-open field, and uh, sort of the main thing you wind up doing there is you end up uh, observing a bunch of uh, oddish, and uh, over the course of the game you can you know water them and uh, evolve them, and there are little games you can play in there as well. As far as the actual music for this stage, what seems to be happening, I sort of described it as a cross between, you know, I hope I'm not using these names and styles incorrectly, but Aaron Copeland and Scott Joplin. It is somewhere in between those two. Now, some of you may not be familiar, may have heard those names, but not be able to place them. Aaron Copeland, if my memory serves me, is uh, well known for producing a lot of music about the American frontier, if I remember correctly. And um, there's definitely an aspect of that, some sort of, uh, I guess you could call it pastoral type of a sound in there. But it's a little more, hip isn't probably the right word, but Scott Joplin is best known for a lot of ragtime and other uh, early jazz type stuff. And there's just a hint of that in there is sort of the um, sort of the vibe I got. Uh, Anne, did any of that make sense? Well, I definitely think there is some light jazz influence on the soundtrack as a whole, but this track, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know if I'd use the word pastoral, but I think I see what you're going for there. And like the whole track is just so very light and cheerful and charming and welcoming, I guess, is a word to use. It might be my favorite song in the game. It's definitely one of my favorites as well. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I picked it, of course. One thing I wanted to suggest out there, though, is you may recall, uh, and you never got to go to one of these, but I went to to a couple um, going from like 2014 to 2015, 2016, somewhere in the, in that time range. There was uh, a series of concerts called the Pokemon Symphonic Evolution, where they took a bunch of game themes and reworked them for string orchestra and stuff like that. Now, they didn't really do much in the way of... They really didn't do anything in the way of side games. And to be honest, nothing against this game's music, but I would probably try to get some of the mystery dungeon stuff in there if they did. But uh, I do wonder, do you think this might be something interesting um, to use in such a capacity uh, as sort of the basis for such an arrangement? Uh, uh, What do you think there? Well, yeah, I think it has a lot of potential in that regard. Like, it's got a very interesting um, instrumental bass, but like it's got a melody, like I said, that's very light and cheerful. Like I think there's a lot of different ways you could go with that. Um, I can definitely see its potential expanding it to a more orchestral sound and maybe having some flutes or some of the higher pitched instruments taking parts. And yeah, no, this could, this could be a good contender. All right, well, let's go on to, Anne, let's go on to your next choice, which is the Abra's Shop theme. Uh, what do you want to say about that one? I I wouldn't say this is necessarily a track that I like, but I picked it because the first thing I thought of when I heard it was like, this is the type of music that I would picture in a mall or like a department store or something, elevator music almost. Um, and that 
I have to appreciate something that fits what it was designed to do. If this is a shop, I am getting all the shop vibes. It is a very pleasant track, uh, and there's lots of nice descending flourishes throughout that kind of give it some movement. So I found it maybe not necessarily the best or my most loved track, but very interesting and fitting for what point in the game it comes to. Yeah, just to describe the setting a little bit, in a couple of the areas, if you can get Pikachu to go to the right place, you can go into this shop uh, that is run by an Abra. And uh, sort of the way it works is that uh, other things you do in the game will give you um, this currency of sorts based on whatever items you can pick up or whatever tasks you can complete and stuff like that. But then you can redeem that. However, and this is kind of one of the criticisms of the game, is that you do not directly say what to buy. Pikachu is the shopper in this scenario, and you are just kind of back there, and you can give commands, but it can be a little tricky sometimes to get Pikachu to buy what you're intending to buy. So it's like a mother taking a toddler to the store, basically. Yeah, except the kid is the one who has to (laughs) order the the correct thing. (laughs) So, yeah. But uh, I I definitely got sort of the, the, the shopping, sort of the, this sort of a, it sort of came across to me that it has kind of a lazy browsing quality to it, like you're looking at various things. And there's also some changes in tempo, not extreme, but enough to be noticeable where it goes a little bit faster, a little bit slower uh, over the course of the song. Did you notice that, Anne? Yeah, like there's a lot of little things like that that just are not so grasping that it distracts you from, say, your shopping experience, but like enough that it doesn't get dull and repetitive, which again, like does not necessarily make it my favorite track to listen to outside of, say, an actual game where I'd be playing. But I think it shows some very clever attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the, uh, when this was composed, they they knew what they were looking for there. Mm. Any other thoughts on on this particular track, Anne? Not really. (laughs) Maybe not the most interesting, but still definitely worth talking about. Right, exactly. All right. Well, I kind of cheated on this next one. There's a series of three themes, and and I guess this is the time to put out the spoiler alert because we are going to definitely spoil the ending of this game because it's it's pretty important for understanding what's going on here musically and vice versa. (laughs) So once you've completed a certain number of tasks, um, it sort of varies. Like the speed run for this game, I looked, is a little over an hour where it'll eventually take you sort of this end game scenario, quote unquote end game scenario. But um, basically at a certain point in the game, uh, you'll you'll get up in the morning and then Professor Oak will tell you to go out into the forest. And uh, he basically tells your character that it's time to tell Pikachu uh, to say goodbye to it and have it go back into the wild. And there's this whole cut scene that plays where there are these other Pikachu that are coming around to meet it and stuff like that. And uh, it's really quite, to be honest, a pretty sad scene, uh, even for uh, kind of a grown-up, especially since you're the one who has to do the talking. I think that lends a little more emotional uh, import. But for this this part here, there's this very, uh, it's still based on the main theme of the game, but it's very obviously kind of, I don't know if ominous is the right word, but very, very low. And then eventually like a, a, a low drum beat comes in, which I guess is supposed to be your heart um, pounding or stuff like that. Um, and then once Pikachu goes off with its its friends and, and you're heartbroken, <laughs> um, what happens is you get to see the end credits. 
And uh, I was reading through comments on some of the stuff, and one person referred to this as uh, basically an extreme case of emotional whiplash, and I kind of got to agree. Uh, you go through the credit sequence, and the music there is extremely cheerful. It's uh, a tune that is uh, unique, I guess, within the game's soundtrack, and it's punctuated by all of these Pikachu sound effects in the music itself. And actually, if you're watching the end credits, what you see while you do that uh, is you see Pikachu reliving some of the moments from within the game. You know, the the cooking with Bulbasaur, I think there's probably a fishing one in there as well. And, you know, uh, if you're not done crying, at the very end, it says at the end, uh, Pikachu's coming home, and um, we then meet your... um, All this game is in the first person, you only see your character in, like, little, uh, like, uh, hand-drawn parts here and there. But basically, you're on your front porch, and you're sort of reminiscing about Pikachu. And then all of a sudden, Pikachu comes in out from the forest and says hello again. And then the music you know, changes to this very happy uh, rendition of the main theme with uh, strings and, and very lush arrangement and stuff like that. So it's this whole roller coaster over the space of about five or ten minutes of gameplay that the, uh, the game kind of kind of takes you on and strings you along on. I have to admit, even as a as a young, uh, near adult back in the day and as an adult, the last time I played this, it really did get to me. Uh, Anne, I've been going on about this for a while. <laughs> I, should, uh, I should give you a chance. What do you think about all that? That sounds like the most beautiful, wonderful, crazy thing. I I love when video games, storytelling in general, can like kind of make you feel something in a way you didn't expect. And video games, I think, have a bit more of an uphill battle in that sense because you're just naturally a little bit more detached from the story. You're trying to win. Um, so anytime that they can kind of pull an emotional fast one on you is something. And like, yeah, that mechanic of having to verbally tell Pikachu to leave you and then go through the sadness and then through the happy and then Pikachu comes back. That sounds wonderful. Like, good job. What an idea. And it sounds like it was really affecting for people. As far as the music itself goes, like, I have down for the credits, like, the Pokemon are singing I'm Dead. Like, that that track where Pikachu's sound effects were interspersed was maybe the cutest thing I'd heard in a long time. So there is so much about this, the ending of this game that just seems delightful and wonderful and I approve even though I've never played it. Well, suffice to say, as someone who has played through it, I had a little bit of a different emotional reaction to the credit scene <laughs> whenever I was re-listening to it for this one. Somewhat I would call a paradoxical relationship. I guess there's something we should probably put down as a semi-obvious inspiration for this is the episode Pikachu's Goodbye. Did you want to mm-hmm. add anything about that here or make any comparisons? Well, it is basically the same idea of people telling the trainer character, Ash, that Pikachu would be better off in nature with its own kind and Ash having to tell Pikachu that t- t- to go um, and let him make that choice. And in the end, Pikachu chooses to come back to the trainer. So it's basically the exact same plot, only slightly different circumstances. So, and anyone who's watched that episode, like, it did rip out your heartstrings, and there was, like, a whole flashback montage of all the good times, 
and feelings everywhere. So, like, definitely you can see the inspiration slash direct ripoff, but again, for a Pokemon game based on friendship, like, what better way to have an emotional crux if you want to have one than to have a reason to separate the friends and then, you know, have the friends choose to stay together rather than just being thrown together for Professor Oak's experiment. So I I mean, I don't know what else you would have done if you wanted to have an emotional arc, um, but it is definitely, definitely highly taken from that plot of the episode. Yeah, I find it difficult to believe that that wasn't somehow an influence there. The circumstances <laughs> are a little bit different and the players involved. You know, this is it's sort of supposed to be a, if you love something, set at three, if it comes back to you, it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Not sure if I want to give Professor Oak that benefit of the doubt. Um, I guess another spoiler alert, this is not something that happens again in uh, some of the later stuff, I think. Uh, although I guess Detective Pikachu, the movie at least, does do a little bit of that. Um, so it, it's, it's certainly not the only place to, to reprise a, uh, a thing like that. So... But yeah, obviously you want the ending of your game to be memorable, and I think this definitely did that to uh, maybe maybe a little too much of an extent, uh, but who knows. All right, well, we do have one more track to talk about that Anne picked out just to sort of, I guess, recover from that emotional <laughs> roller coaster, although this one is this one is, is kind of different from everything else in the game. So this is the... Um, it's the quiz. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, this is, this is the quiz time theme. I forget exactly what it's called in the sound test, but Anne, you picked this one out. Uh, what did you like about it? Well, it basically has a different set of emotions than what we just went through in the credits. It starts with like just these drivers and rising tension. The track like almost seems to open the most pop songy of anything on this track. And then just it never stops. Like the risers just keep going and going. So you're you're just left with this tension of like, oh my gosh, when is it going to break? When is it going to break? When am I going to get the question wrong? So there was an element of humor for me who is not playing the game right now, recognizing what stress I would be under actually taking a quiz with that music in the background. I I don't know, was it stressful to be playing it? But because it sounds like that music is very engaging, but like it definitely is built to drive increasing tension forward until you win or lose. I don't know. Yeah, so there's this, uh, just to sort of elaborate on what Anne was talking about there, there's this game you can play in your room where you can say quiz time and Pikachu will come in there and you'll play this game where there's, there's like three difficulty levels and you have to identify a Pokemon on the lowest level by its picture, then by its silhouette, and then you have a, a shorter window of time to uh, to go through that. And, um, you know, even because of the secular nature of the game, even Pikachu's little voice clips that it says in there are are kind of timed in a certain way. It almost seems like with the music. You can see me uh, or someone else playing it uh, if you look on on YouTube or somewhere else. And it is kind of fun, although it is is fairly limited. The the object, uh, you get to move on to the next level of difficulty if you can get all 10 of them right. And, uh, you know, most of them are not too difficult, and it seems to do a relatively good job of of remembering uh, what you said there. But they do have, speaking of things from the anime, they do have the dreaded Top of Jigglypuff from the <gasps> Ultimate Test episode is one of the ones in there. And uh, I'm sure that fooled a few people who thought they could never fall for something like that, but that is actually 
in there. Um, so it's a fun little mini game that they decided to put in there. Um, not sure precisely why, but just uh, I guess to get some more Pokemon names in there and and tie back in. But yeah, not, not maybe not the most. It's not doesn't play for super long or anything like that, and not the most in depth stuff. But I, it works very well for what it was intended for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, those are the kind of the tracks we picked out. There's obviously other stuff. There's a couple other stages uh, in there. There's like a tropical island uh, area called Cobalt that has a couple stages in there and has sort of a, a steel drum vibe and uh, a number of other things for some of the other locations um, and stuff like that. But I kind of wanted to give a little bit of an overall thought on, on the music for this game. And, you know, I really like the music of this game. But one thing I found interesting... You know, I did a quick search on, on YouTube and some other places. It doesn't seem like there were too many remixes or rearrangements by fans of the music for this game. I mean, I wasn't expecting, you know, mystery dungeon levels of interest here from the fan base, but it does seem kind of interesting. And do you have any thoughts on any of that? And, and what do you think of the music overall? Well, I can understand to a point why there's less um, fan engagement with the music on this one. I, I think we perceived it in very different ways. I like and appreciate a lot going on in this soundtrack, but compared to even just some of the Game Boy games that we just did, something about this soundtrack struck me as like more synthetic, lesser quality of sound, like not lesser quality of composing, but lesser quality just of instrumentation so it could be that if a lot of fans kind of had that reaction that i did they would prefer to engage with other music for their creative projects of mixing and and remastering and covering and the like could be i i'm not sure because there were a lot of tracks in here that were quite fun as well so it's hard to say do you think any of it has to do with the fact that the main title screen theme the theme from there gets reused a lot in the music of this game it could be that like it could have driven perception in people that there wasn't as much music to kind of look over and appreciate if they perceived that the same track was playing a lot that that could be a factor yeah, just something I kind of wondered there. So, and I also do wonder if because it is targeted at such a young audience, there isn't a older audience necessarily that that goes back or while they're playing it even decides to go in and do uh, arrangements there. So maybe that's also a disadvantage. Mm-hmm, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if uh, if a similar game were released now, even if it were targeted to younger audiences, if it wouldn't grab an adult fan base because it, it does seem that adults could enjoy this game. It just maybe was not marketed towards them as heavily. All right. So definitely a, a game worth talking about, maybe not the most famous or the most memorable out there, but I think it was still worth our time. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about our next episode that we're going to do here. So I did put up a poll asking folks what they would like for our next one, because what happens is this is the last uh, Gen 1 side game that we're going to discuss. It's pretty much the last Gen 1 side game. And usually between generations, we like to do a special episode or two to sort of buffer in between uh, topics. So I put a poll out there, and the winner, uh, from when I last took a look there, folks wanted us to do a an episode on disputed Pokemon songs. 
So let me kind of explain what that is. So there are a number of Pokemon songs, primarily from like the first and second movie, a little bit from Detective Pikachu and a few other places, that were not written for Pokemon, but are associated with it to one degree or another. So good examples of this are stuff like Flying Without Wings, uh, let's see, Making My Way Any Way That I Can, um, Happy Together is uh, another one in there that has some connections. And we were, we're going to talk about sort of deciding, well, to what degree, or are they or are they not truly a Pokemon song? And uh, we're going to have some fun there. We won't be talking about some certain songs, uh, like, like We're a Miracle, not written for Pokemon, the first movie. But uh, it's, it's so uh, associated with it that I don't think we could have a, a super great discussion. We've also talked about that one a lot yeah. <laughs> already. Sim- similar story, I think, with They Don't Understand, which was rewritten for the second Pokemon movie, but isn't very well known outside of there, despite in there being an alternate version. Um, but I think we're going to ha- still have a-, a lot of material to work over. There might be some other stuff. Uh, we haven't worked out an exact track list. If you have any suggestions of uh, things we should cover, please let us know. Uh, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you for having me. And thank you. Thank you, everybody, for allowing us to do this. It was very different and fun. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Okay, so despite Anne not having a ton of um, experience, or really any experience with AU Pikachu, we are still going to talk about the game itself. Um, Like I said, I rather enjoyed it, and I know it has somewhat of a very divisive opinion. Some folks just don't even get the point, and some folks really love it. And had you played this back then, do you think you would have really liked it, or or how would that have gone with you, you think? I think I would have liked it, um, especially since I really love the aspects where you can play with your Pokémon and take care of them after the battle in some more frequent iterations of the game. Um, back then, we didn't have that, so I think I would have been all over that game if I did have the chance to play it. So, I guess I should ask, uh, what about the voice recognition aspect? First of all, do you have any other experience with, like, voice recognition? Like, do you use it with your phone and stuff like that, or...? I don't. And I don't, like, have a smart device in my house, but as far as video games... Um, not to the extent that Hey You Pikachu, but I do have played some video games with voice recognition um, aspects to them. Usually things like Phoenix Wright, where it's like you can have that option to verbally issue your commands of what you want to do, but you don't have to. So I'm actually a little surprised that since Hey You Pikachu did have such... Um, an opportunity to interact with the game via voice control that more video games didn't adapt that technology as platforms got more sophisticated and gaming got more sophisticated. Um, or maybe they did and I just didn't play any of those games. But it's kind of strikes me thinking back at how simplistic uh, voice commands were in games I have played um, since the coming out of Hey You Pikachu. Even now, I don't think it's a 
big market or a big draw of game development. And you'd think it would be something that we could do more easily. I think part of that may just be the sort of technical hurdles. We mentioned this game only came out in Japan and the United States. I think if they wanted to release it in Europe, they would have had to do many more languages. I think that that even back then that might have been a legal requirement. Um, so the only other place they could maybe put this out might have been like Australia or New Zealand, um, something like that, just because of the, the things there. Now, there are companies like uh, Dragon and stuff like that that sort of specialize in text-to-speech and uh, other similar types of uh, mechanics and stuff like that. That if they want to make a new game here, I think the other like voice recognition game that gets uh, a lot of um, notoriety is like Seaman for the uh, Sega Dreamcast. That one has a bit more of an edgy quality to it for sure. Um, and it's also actually the voiceover is done by Leonard Nimoy of all folks. Um, so it's 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 kind of a maybe a, a more uh, grown-up version of Hey You Pikachu, or at least it tries to be. It has a <laughs> some very odd aspects to it as well. Um, so uh, I guess that's something to try, but there were some uh, stuff where you could give voice commands on the DS and like uh, some of the cooking games, I know that. And mm. yeah, the Phoenix Wright games, you could yell objection, which I'm not sure how detailed. Which was delightfully fun. Not sure how detailed the logic was there. Um, I guess we should talk about, you know, people, when you watch the anime, which was definitely an influence on Hey You Pikachu specifically, um, would you want to be able to, in the main series games, be able to call out your attacks verbally rather than using a menu? Uh, do you think that would get really tiring after a certain point? Or, or what do you think, Anne? Well, I think if you had the option to to call them out verbally and then at other times like just toggle it off and just play the way we always have i think i think that could be a lot of fun um it's only tiring if you don't have the option to do something else so as long as the option of remained available to be able to press a button um i think a lot of people would find that they enjoyed it from time to time or to be able to interact with their pokemon after battles to like say something to them in the way that they you pet the Pokemon or feed it a berry or whatever. Yeah, that's an interesting way of taking at it. Like I said, that's the one thing I've, I've heard folks who've had to use like text to speech for extended periods of time, and and uh, it sometimes has worn their voice out. Uh, but I guess one of the things with doing it, if if Nintendo or some other company were to partner with a company like Dragon and stuff like that, that does like professional level. Uh, voice recognition and, and, and speech to text and stuff like that. They could, uh, those newer programs have like training, um, algorithms and stuff like that that adjust to your average voice. Cause even, you know, here in America, there are, you know, probably eight or, or 10 or 12 different semi distinct accents of, of ver- various varieties out there. And it can be difficult to write a game around all of that. I do know that, for example, I think this this uh, game did not demo well at trade shows like E3 back in the day, um, simply because of the the noisy environment made things difficult. So, a lot of stuff there. Uh, let's talk about some of the actual activities in the game. Then, the actual interactions are, are honestly kind of simplistic. Like you can do fishing and and tell Pikachu to pull harder or let it go or stuff like that or manipulate objects. What did you think of all that, Anne? Um, 
I really like the concept of all those things. Um, I think on the episode itself, you and I were talking about how you can go shopping, but you have to tell Pikachu what you want to buy and direct him to buy it. And so I think, I think there was the opportunity for it to get a little frustrating for people from time to time. But I really like that general idea. Um, I love the idea of going out and gathering food and fishing and like just being able to play games with your Pokemon. But I'm also really into those kinds of Animal Crossing, Breath of the Wild type games where you, it's kind of you, you just run around and do fun things. So I, I really think that this game kind of taps into a lot of those um things that are very fun for certain gamers. And I guess the next logical question, I, last I heard, I don't think you had a Switch yet. Have you gotten then? Have you tried a, ch- a chance to try out the camping feature in Sword and Shield? Um, my roommate has a Switch. That is my next step, is to <laughs> uh, beg her to let me play it. <laughs> and so stay tuned. But no, I am very excited. I mean, there are some definite similarities. You can uh, throw around uh, certain objects, uh, certain toys. You can also obviously yeah. cook, mm-hmm. which is you know a little more detailed than what they do in this game with Bulbasaur and so on. But still some, uh, some definite uh, similarities in some of the, the side stuff there. So I think there is some potential for them to revisit this idea for this game. I'm not sure if they want to do it directly. We'll talk more about what Hey You Pikachu would be like without the voice uh, interaction in, in uh, you know sometime in the future when we talk about Pokemon Channel, which is a very similar game with uh, without that mechanic in there. So we'll see how that one goes. But yeah, I think... I don't know. I'm I'm kind of iffy on whether they should really revisit this type of game because it is there's a fair bit of risk to it, you know, and and whether it would actually work out. Uh, and what do you think? Um, for me, I vote yes because I would really love to see um, them redo this game with more modern technology, more sophisticated technology, better graphics, better voice recognition, like wider map, more things to do, more places to explore. And I think, like, I think if they could pull off what they did back when Hey You Pikachu released and some of the things I see coming out of video games now, I don't think it would be that hard for them to make a game that was enjoyable. Maybe not as perfect as we all, maybe not as perfect as it is in my mind, but a very fun video game. But again, I like those types of video games. Um, So maybe... Maybe it is a game that does just does not appeal to everybody, and as you say, that makes it a bit of a risk if something is a little clunky from time to time, um, if it's not perfect. Yeah, so only, I think, time will tell whether we get a true follow-up to Hey You Pikachu. Um, obviously, they've gone, they did Channel, and then they did the Poke Park series, and then they did Detective Pikachu, and we're supposed to be getting a sequel to that at some point. Maybe that'll be coming out this fall, since it sounds like they're not going to do another full-fledged Pokemon game in favor of the DLC for Isle of, of Sky or whatever it's called. Um, so <laughs> we'll see where all that leads. All right. Well, thank you very much, Anne. Thank you.